Welcome to Archie Digest, a Riverdale podcast. We are a podcast about a story, about a town, and this week we are doing a... It's a hidden track. You remember back when you used to listen to cassette tapes or CDs, and there'd be those tracks that only existed if you, like, let the music play all the way out in, like, five minutes of silence and blah, 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 and, like, holy crap, there's a whole other song on here that wasn't listed on the jacket notes? That's pretty much this. This is just me, Russ. I'm sharing with you folks... An interview I did with Marisol Nichols immediately prior to the season finale airing uh, a few months ago. So we don't talk about a lot of the new stuff. We don't get into like the casting news and the Comic-Con stuff and all that kind of stuff. But it's a really interesting conversation. She was a lot of fun to talk to. I managed to trim down a half-an-hour interview to like a 15-minute thing. So we have like a mini-episode of the podcast that I can just kind of toss out there because I really appreciate the support that we've still been getting even while we've been too lazy to make a podcast, which isn't entirely fair. We've all been really stomped at our day jobs. But, for instance, today I got a a really nice note from Sarah Ritter, who uh, essentially sponsored the podcast. Uh, We we have that thing where you can go and donate 10 bucks, and I'll send you a framed picture of Pops. And uh, She sent us a very nice note telling us that you know, she's enjoying listening to the podcast, presumably while she's watching it on Netflix. I really, really appreciated that, and it made me feel even worse about the fact that we hadn't gotten a new episode out in a while. So, basically, Sarah, if you're listening, this interview with Marisol Nichols is because uh, I got uh, the note from you and really felt like, you know, the people who listen to this show are awesome, and they deserve something cool. So, uh, without any further ado, here's a, a chat with Marisol Nichols. After we'd seen the pilot and spoken with the cast, we basically said, this show's great. These kids are great. Like, let's do a podcast. And, and you know, the fact that we don't all work for the same people and nobody's getting paid kind of notwithstanding. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. And I really, really appreciate it. It's really cool to find people that got behind the show from the beginning, you know? I mean, I guess the biggest thing is that I, you fit into a really kind of, I won't say easy because obviously it's your job, but from the ex- from the outside, it looks like you fit into a really easy rhythm with Cammy. How how much work went into crafting that relationship? Because it's really complex and really interesting, but you guys feel like you snapped right into it. Thanks. Um, well, I would say the core of the relationship between me and Cammy, you're right, was very very easy, um, and that doesn't happen all the time and that's you know basically just boils down to chemistry and you get along or you don't get along but we were really lucky that we both just sort of really were drawn to each other and had a natural affinity for each other the Mm. hard stuff comes when they have these twists and turns in our relationship particularly with my character when she's seemingly betraying her daughter and i was like oh my god it's hard (laughs) i'm like how do i justify doing all that when I've built this relationship on trust and, and genuine genuine love for mm-hmm. from Hermione to her daughter. And so basically we've boiled it down to like, you know, parents don't always make the best decisions or sometimes they do make the best decisions, but kids don't always have all the information. And so it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like like 
you know, the parent has best interest. I have your best interest in mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> but sometimes it is. And when it comes to Hiram, it's such a dangerous game there that I just trust that Hermione is doing what she's doing to protect her family at all costs, mm-hmm. even when it may not seem like the right thing to do. Has it gotten easier for you, kind of that disconnect you're talking about, where you're like, wow, this isn't how I approached the character before. Has yeah. that gotten a little bit easier as you learned more and more about Hiram throughout the season? Because I feel like by the end of the season, whatever Hermione's doing, you kind of understand it's almost out of desperation. Oh, good. Thank you. I've been trying to make sure that that was there. <laughs> um, it was hard. Honestly, it was not easy because um, – I just didn't have all that information about Hiram, and I kind of got that. I kind of had to fill in the blanks for myself of, like, okay, Hiram is dangerous. He must be dangerous. He landed mm-hmm. in prison. He's obviously still controlling things from there. This is a man who can do a lot of damage. At the same mm-hmm. time, Hermione married him. So I, I had to sort of fill in these blanks of, like, well, how were they together, and why did she marry him? What were they like when they first met? How is she had to, you know, what has she had to do to survive along the way when she first discovered Hiram was not on the up and up? And she stayed. Mm-hmm. It's not like she left. It's not like she went, oh, my God, you're doing something illegal, I'm gone. She didn't. And that's telling, you know? It's been a work in progress, and I'm constantly kind of adjusting my idea of Hermione based on the more information that I get along the way, which is the fun thing about doing TV, is the characters are evolving. It's not just one storyline. You're doing lots and lots of storylines and learning more and more about the characters as you go along. It's really, really fun. I think, obviously, you guys learned a lot more of the specifics as the season went along and kind of as the audience did. But going in, when you, you know, when you read for this part, when you met with Roberto, did he tell you guys, oh, yeah, just so you know, the parents aren't just parents. They've got all their own craziness going on, too. Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't have taken the role if it was just parents, to be completely honest. At that point, it's just a paycheck. And you're not mm-hmm. working, you know, for any kind of artistic satisfaction at all. And for me, you know, even though I may be foolish, sometimes I care more about the artistic satisfaction than I do about the paycheck, and that ends up getting me... <laughs> Sometimes in trouble finance where you're like, oh, man. (laughs) I'm as happy as can be. You know what I mean? Mm. So with Riverdale, um, Roberto, you know, laid it all out and told me what was coming and what the character was going to go through and all of these twists and turns that I was like, I can definitely think, not only sink my teeth into this, but I want to be a part of something that's special. I mean, I kind of felt... I think all of us did, maybe, although most of the kids don't have anything to compare it to. But mm-hmm. we all sort of felt in the beginning, like, wow, this is really something special. It's funny. When we went to the first set visit way back in November, one of my co-hosts on the podcast asked Lily about similarities between Betty and Joey Potter on Dawson's Creek. Ah. And, you know, he's 40 and a TV writer, and so he assumes that asking you know, that just saying the name Joey Potter would get some kind of reaction. And, and <laughs> poor Lily was just like, I, uh, I, I'm i sorry, I have no idea who that is. And, isn't uh, that crazy? It's crazy. Yeah. I know. Not that people don't know who Joey Potter is, but just that people don't know things that I we grew up with or loved or whatever. I'm like, how can you not know that? I'm like, oh, you were like three. Okay. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, that, and that's the conversation we're constantly having. Is, for instance, I was talking to one of the folks from iZombie the other day, and he's about my age, so so he he mostly got this, but I had to explain it for context. Being a classic TV nerd, I, I described his character as being like Harry the Hat from Cheers. Uh, okay. The con man who was like a recurring character, and he was never a good guy, but, you know, occasionally yeah. they'd use him for that. And uh, and it was like, even that, he needed a little bit of prompting of like, wait, I think I know what you mean, but is it the guy from Night Court? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. What can, you, uh, what can you tease about tomorrow's episode? Because, I mean, Hermione is very much a presence in tomorrow's episode, and I feel yeah. like you have at least three different kind of levels that you are operating at. Yes. Well, I can tell you that I went to the writers like – Oh, God, I don't know how many times to go, okay, hold on. Can we just talk about this again? Because it was such <laughs> a turn. It was such a turn. And I had, like, mm-hmm. I mentioned at the beginning, like, I had really built up my idea of what Hermione was operating off of. And then there was this, you know, 360-degree turn. And I don't know what – I know that some of it, honestly, was cut out, so I don't know what made it in the final episode. I'll find, I'll find out tomorrow. But, the, you know, I can only talk about what I – did and what I shot and that was it was just a real change and I I embraced it I loved it but it it was delicate because I'm like she's seemingly turning on her daughter you know she's she's seemingly going down this other road and betraying like betraying Fred again in my mind and like which was hard it was really hard but I'm glad that it was hard because I wanted to bring that to Hermione as well and that she's just got to do what she's got to do and that she has more information than anybody else. And I still trust that she's operating off of, like, the greatest good for everyone, even though it does not come across like that on the surface. And so I hope that – I was hoping that that desperation would sort of come through because that's what I feel was real for her, you know, that Mm -hmm. there was an actual – she's doing what she has to because she doesn't have a choice. And no one else, may, they may or may not understand it, but she's got to do it anyway, regardless. So that was my Steve, understanding. Yeah. Real early on, I, I want to say episode three or four, I can't remember what, but I, I had turned to somebody and I said, do you think this is arrested development? Do you think that really Hermione's the one pulling all the strings and Hiram is a patsy? <laughs> yep. And then like two episodes later was the one where, uh, Veronica makes you come clean about forging the documents and yeah. like your performance in that episode just kind of immediately put the, the is Hermione secretly the boss thing uh-huh. to lie because it was like, yeah, she just seems so terrified by the notion of having to come forward with this, that later on, if you turned out to be the bad guy, it wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I was really, I actually had that same question at the end, too, when on the season finale, I was like, wait a minute, has she been doing this all a lot? Is this completely, like, okay? How do I, huh? (laughs) And like I said, having a a, a slightly rough time of making all of this make sense. But still trusted that, like, look, she's doing this because she has to. It's forging Veronica's signature to get Hiram out. You know, my mm. my thought at the time was if she doesn't do this, he's going to kill her, and mm. that may or may not be true. And I will know more, like I said, as the season, as second <laughs> second season comes and we meet Hiram, that will yeah. be telling. You know, and I, but I'm discovering it as we go along, and just my driving force has been Hiram's dangerous. She's going to stand by him. 
and we don't know if she's standing by him because she's in agreement with him or if she's standing by him because she is so desperately scared of what he may do to Veronica and her. I don't know. But that, okay. that has been my whole operating basis for her. One thing that I wanted to ask you, and I'll hold this until after the finale, obviously, but it's just the very sure. first thing that popped into my head. Do you think it's possible that it was Hermione and not Fred who contracted the gunman? Or, and, and sorry, I'm not Hiram. I do. I really do. I really do. <laughs> I don't, I just don't know her motivation. My understanding, and I'm going to stick by it all the way through. Like, I don't know if you've watched House of Cards season four. Do you watch yeah. House of Cards at all? Okay. Yeah. So Claire does some really mm-hmm. horrific stuff. You know, it tells her mom she's going to sell the house out from under her for a million dollars, and it doesn't matter, and covers up murders, and all of these things. And she's driven by, I don't care. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. And she does these horrific things to fight as Hiram's dangerous, protect Veronica, stay on top. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel that those are good intentions. They don't always manifest themselves in the best way, and, we'll, and I'll see in season two. Who knows? Like, the other thought is, like, look, she must love Hiram. Either way, even if she's scared, there was at mm-hmm. some point something that made her marry this man. And I have my own stories of, you know, okay, so maybe he lied to her, and he, she didn't know all the darkness that was within him. And then mm-hmm. when she found out, it was too late. And I, and I, I sort of stick by that. And that when she met Fred again, saw him again, and Hiram's, you know, technically gone, it right. kind of opened up this whole world for her of like, oh, what if I would have done the right thing? What if I would have just taken this route? I could have had mm-hmm. such a simpler life. Um, and unfortunately, her old decisions, and they were her decisions, come mm-hmm. back and haunt her. And so, yeah, if she ended up hiring that crew – and all that stuff, I wouldn't put it past her, but I would argue that her intentions were she had to. Didn't have a choice. Yeah, that was it was interesting because I turned off the television and my first thought was, you know, it really looks like Fred could survive this. I almost wonder if Hermione, this is a warning shot before Hiram gets back and it gets really dangerous. Yes, exactly, exactly. And that's that. that's what I will always, I'll always use that, even if it's not on the paper, even if it, we don't see mm-hmm. all of it, we don't see her struggle to having to do something like that, I still feel that that's what happens off camera. Because it's, it's such an interesting balancing act what you've been doing with this character because I feel like to everyone outside of the house, she has to appear like she's on top of everything. You've been a little bit more raw with Cammy, but at the, like when you have her in, in the finale, when you're telling her essentially, go make Archie tell his dad to listen to reason that scene like I, I feel like on the page it could have come off very very badly for me i kind of felt like this was your character just going like i have zero options left and this is a hail mary yeah that's exactly what i had and he has to he has to do this because he will be mm-hmm. destroyed if he doesn't and that was my as cold as it comes across it's sort of like she doesn't have a choice. It's sort of like, um, I don't know how I could, else I could describe it, but if, as a mother, if something's happening to your kid or there's a danger for your kid and you're like, run, and the kid's like, I don't want to leave you. He's like, run, go, get out of here. Like, you do whatever yeah. you have to do to keep that child safe. I feel like that is 
the same sort of area where Hermione is when she's telling mm-hmm. Cammy to go to do that. It's like, it doesn't matter. You have to do this. We have to do this. He has to sign. He has to do this kind of thing. Right. At least that's, that's what I had driving myself. And so I love that it came across like as well. Right. Thank you. Yay. Yeah, because it's been a struggle. It's been, uh, like, as you mentioned, yeah. the things on paper don't have all the reasons why written in. And mm-hmm. we haven't seen the journey that she's taken. It's all off camera. We just see the mm-hmm. result of it. So as an actor being faced with that, you just have to make it go right, I guess, and justify it off screen so that it comes across on screen, if that makes sense. Sometimes in the first season, you don't really have time to color in all of the backstory for the actors because you might need to change that in episode yep. five. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. But uh, I wonder but, about it because Roberto, when we were like, who killed Jason Blossom? Roberto had told us that the killer, because we're like, who's the killer? Who's the killer? And he said, you saw him in the pilot. Mm-hmm. We're like, really? Okay. Who was in the pilot? And that's. There were so many people in the pilot that it's just honestly that yeah. Statham didn't. Yeah, that was actually um, <laughs> if you if you ever talk to Rob Thomas about Veronica Mars, he will tell you that uh, he has this philosophy that a murder mystery or a, a mystery in general is more <laughs> satisfying if the bad guy was there the whole time. And so, nice. Okay. For me, I had that thing where like you know Joaquin came in and everybody's like, oh well, what about him? And uh, yeah. Uh, that one actually made a, re- a resurgence on our podcast because there was a conversation where we were like, why would it have been recorded? And then it was like, well, if it was Joaquin's initiation of the serpents, maybe? I don't, you know. But like, right. but then still you're you're saying, oh, no, the killer's a dude who got introduced midway through the season, and that feels like a little bit of a cheat. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's interesting about um, Rob's point of view. I get that. It's work. I, I agree with him. Since I know you're running, I'll, I'll ask one more thing. Outside of, you know, you got a lot of FaceTime with Fred and with, uh, or with, uh, with Luke and with Tammy this season. Yeah. Are there any characters you're really hoping to flesh out your story with next year? Because I feel like every time you got on camera with somebody, all of the unspoken backstories started to boil over right away. Good. That's what I wanted and that's what I had. So I'm so glad. Um, I would like, I've answered this question so many different ways, but honestly, this is probably the first time I've answered it truly incorrectly, if that makes sense, because I'll get, you know, on the red carpet, who are you, who are you hoping to work with next year? Um, To be honest, I really liked the scenes that I had with FP, because, as you said, there was this giant backstory, and I loved being kind of caught between FP and Hiram. That's a fun place mm-hmm. for an actor to be. And yeah. that we didn't, you know, and LP was helping her, and why are you telling me this, and why, oh, it's for Fred. I would love to see more of that. And maybe if Hermione is going to try to branch out on her own, she may need mm-hmm. FP's help when it comes to Hiram. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm interested in, in seeing that sort of thing. And then from a purely, like, just fun and delicious point of view, um, I liked Alice. <laughs> I really liked Alice and Hermione's relationship. I, and I wanted to see, and originally there was more of that in the pilot and in the first couple episodes where they were really just kind of at each other's throats and 
as Alice couldn't let go of high school BS and kind of things. Mm. But I really liked that, and I think it's real. And I think, look, people hold grudges for a very long time. And that's just more like my own, oh, wouldn't that be fun? And yeah. plus, Machen's an amazing actress, so, you know, whenever we get together, it's just really fun. It's funny. As a reporter, I saw the Comic-Con cut and then a second cut in Vancouver before I oh. finally got the one they were going to put on television. I've seen three different cuts, and the middle one um, was a lot more adults. Uh, like, the there was a the scene between Archie and Fred that I described as, like, the Gilmore Girls scene where he oh, called uh-huh. him, like, you never need to lie to me, was yeah. way longer in that middle cut, yeah. and that cut had more of you in I know, and that was sort of the bane of my existence all year, was <laughs> I just expected anything that Hermione was in was going to be shortened and cut. And that's just the way it yeah. is when you're shooting only 13 episodes, but you filled those episodes with so much story. You know, I, we weren't the only things that got cut. I know there were scenes completely with mm-hmm. Archie and... Valerie that got completely, completely cut, not even shortened, just mm-hmm. cut. And I'm looking well, I'm, forward to next season when we have more episodes so that things don't get shortened and we have a little bit more breath that we can mm-hmm. play with, you know? Yeah, I remember ca- talking to Cole, and uh, when we were up there for the finale, everybody told us that 10 was their favorite episode. And Cole oh, really? was the one who dissented, and he said 7. But he said, I know why everybody likes 10 so much. We said, why is that? He said, because 10 is like the only episode we've shot so far where every important thing that happened in the script got, got to the screen. That's He's it, like, yeah. 10, the screenplay was so tight that, that nothing important got cut and everything made it. And so everybody loves it because nobody got their, their baby killed. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Was I there? I must not have been there when you came up. I We didn't do interviews with any of the adults when we came up for the finale. Oh, okay. Um, oh, I got we, uh, we were there on the second to last day. Like, they oh, had already wrapped most day. of the cast. Yeah. They had already wrapped Ashley. They brought her back uh, just to talk to us. And then, like, they oh, wow. put us in a room with... Uh, they put us in a room with basically all of the kids except for Cole and Ashley and had us live-tweet the episode with them. Oh, okay. And then at that point, it more or less just petered out into us chatting about stuff, talking about rumors, blah, 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 blah. Uh, most of it wasn't usable, just in terms of us getting off on, on wild tangents and saying things that we shouldn't say. But uh, thank you guys for listening to this hidden track on Archie Digester Riverdale podcast. As I said, check back with us very soon. Uh, if you want to hear anything else from us, in the meantime, obviously, Craig is at K-Site TV. I'm at comicbook.com. Chris is all over the place. He's doing a lot of freelance work for, I think, The Hollywood Reporter right now. Meanwhile, you can follow Waterworld Photos on Instagram for Chris's passion project. You can follow Riverdale TV on Twitter for Craig's Riverdale posts. And for me, you can follow ECV underscore podcast. That's the Emerald City video podcast where a bunch of my friends and I from when I used to work at a video store 10, 15 years ago all get together and talk about movies. It's about as silly as it sounds.